This is radio. Radio Level 5 is an artist-run podcast from Level 5, a cooperative studio floor in the center of Brussels. In our podcasts, we invite artists and other people to discuss which interests inspire their practice and how they work. Sometimes, we also play sound pieces. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, uh, Omar. Welcome to the listeners. We're doing another interview for Radio Level 5. We, that is Bas van den Hout and me, Olaf Winkler. And Omar Kashmiri is with us today. That's true. Um, you are an architect and you're part of Level 5 as well. But today we are not talking about architecture. Or I, I have the feeling that in the end it might also be about a few spatial questions, but not necessarily architecture, rather about spatial organization maybe. And um, yeah, to keep it as a riddle at the beginning, which is not the purpose. But uh, yeah, to start, very simple. Uh, how are you feeling? You're, you're, you're fine, you're living in Brussels today, but you have a bit of a history which we want to talk about later on. But um, you live in Brussels since when? Since 2016, I think, but I had some times where I moved back and forth going around. Yeah, because back means uh, where you are originally from? Egypt, from Cairo. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that would have been a question for me, actually. You, you were born and raised in, in Cairo? or you? That's true. But actually, I'm originally from Kashmir, which is my last name. Yeah. But that was my great-grandpa. He moved from Kashmir to Egypt. I wasn't even born yet, so so I'm not sure actually when you ask me where do you come from, I'm not really <laughs> sure uh, what to say. <laughs> yeah, did you ever travel to Kashmir after? Once, yeah, yeah okay. for a few days only. So You, s- you still have family there? Or? I have no idea, to be honest. Yeah, it's yeah. a hard question. But for example, sometimes when I think about it, because I would say, yeah, but I'm from Egypt and Cairo because I was born there and raised there. But if we follow that logic, then I would say, okay, but now I'm 10% Belgian because I lived in Brussels for four years now. So mm-hmm. maybe that's... Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because, uh, yeah, how do you define your home? Is it, is it a home by now, Brussels? It's a good question because I'm not sure, actually. I always ask myself that question, which is, what is home to me? And is it where I feel comfortable? Is it where I feel I can express myself and be free? Or is it where you have friends and family? It's all unanswered questions, I would say. Yeah. So is Cairo still home? Definitely, no. Yeah. Is it, is it uh, a place where you go regularly now? or Once a year, I think. To go back, um, so you were born and raised in Cairo. You also studied in Cairo? Or yeah. Yeah. That's true. And did you work as an architect already? For a few years there, yeah. Yeah, because actually I don't even know how old you are. May I ask this? Because we will dive back 10 years afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm 31 years old. Yeah, so you were in 2011, you were 21. Exactly. Yeah, and which was quite a cut in your life, I believe. It was really, yeah, something because I was turning 21st years old in five days and the revolution happened started five days before that so it was really interesting time for me maybe yeah because for the listeners to go back to 2011 uh, tell us what happened uh, because to uh, fresh up the memory back again 
Yeah, it was the most extreme event that I have ever witnessed, I would say, or experienced myself. And also it was a very special moment for me because I was growing up, let's say, and uh, graduating from school, but also starting to explore the world, how it works, and also try to yeah, maybe test or see my political views and my core values and what I believe in in real life, how does it work? And that's what made it very special, the combination of all of these. But luckily enough and surprisingly, a very important event happened at the same time. And yeah, that's what we call today or at the time rather quickly Arabic Spring, I think, in English. Uh, that's true, it. yeah. Um, which I, I think because you showed some photos before and some of them had a date, there was one specific day, right, when, when you consider, uh, which you consider as a starting point of the Arabic Spring in, in Cairo, which is yeah. not the same because Tunisia was before already and maybe you can um, yeah. refer to that. But, but when was it exactly? Is it was it the 25th of January 2011. Yeah, so just a tiny bit more than 10 years ago now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, the Tunisian revolution happened around, yeah, my memory is not so good, but it was something like one month before. And I remember that we had this Facebook event that people were attending. It sounds very modern somehow. Mm -hmm. And we had this event saying, okay, we have to attend and it's a revolution. And people were really making fun of it saying, hey, but you don't organize revolutions on Facebook, right? It's not an event that you organize with your friends on Facebook. And when the Tunisian uh, uh, move started, actually, then we were like, wow, it can be true. It's very realistic. It's happening nearby. We can also just do that. We can make it. And for, for the majority of people, actually, nobody believed that such a thing would happen. So, but that means there was already a very strong communication before, even before Tunisia started. I think it was in parallel. I cannot say before or after, or because that also depends on the context and who thinks about what. But I remember very clearly that I had very intense discussions with my friends right before that. Like right before that, I mean like a few months before that. So I can already say that the political situation in Egypt was already boiling. And it was a very critical moment mm -hmm. anyway, regardless what started and so on, on the planning of the day maybe, but that's not the important thing. It was already building up to something before. And I remember that we had these discussions privately with friends who are not even concerned or interested in politics at all. But what was it exactly that uh, you and your friends and in, this whole, in the whole country felt that this revolution was needed to... Um well, the thing is that we believed or we felt, and by we, that's maybe something we should define mm -hmm. later on, but at least I can talk about myself, but also many other people in the country, that you felt that change is needed because I was raised and my generation, we were raised in time of globalized time where you can see everything. Everything is very transparent. Mm -hmm. So you can see what's happening all over the whole world and relating that to your real life and to the, to the country, to Egypt, it's, it was very obvious, it's wrong. It doesn't work like that. And there are many other routes and paths that we can take. 
that nothing was happening and nothing was changing. And they were still dealing with the people in a way that we are still in the 80s or 90s that you just get your information from the TV, from the public uh, official TV. That's not true. So everybody believed that change is needed. Mm -hmm. The question was, how can we do that and what kind of change do we need? And how can we get there? And most of the discussions were always about that. They weren't very political about right or left or anything, but it was about how can you make that? Okay, you understand that you want better, uh, better standards. Mm -hmm. And the situation is very bad. Real life is really bad. There's a huge gap. So how can we move forward? Mm -hmm. I think that was... And, and what was the spark that like, flipped the coin or where, like, where the revolution was actually happening? There was this guy, his name is Khaled Said. He was a young guy, so many young people could relate to him. Uh, and he had a very sad accident that they caught him, the police, and out of police brutality, which was, and I may say is, very common, and mm -hmm. it could happen to anybody, that they, uh, they beat him to death, basically. And then they started saying those kind of stories that, yeah, but he had uh, this, uh, he was a dealer, he was dealing in drugs, and so on and so forth. And that was a little bit touching many people because he was just a very normal guy that many people from the middle class can relate to. He wasn't this uh, other person that they can say any allegations about and people would believe it. And it was a kind of a mirror for whole society. Exactly. So many people, so there was a movement that started and there was um, a Facebook page that also started by his name. And this page actually started the event of the Egyptian revolution, if I may say. Of course, we cannot give all the credit to certain groups, you know, but, it's but, like a, like but like maybe that's the spark. spark yeah. In that sense, um, do you have the feeling that at least at the beginning, that means that there was actually the first protest was rather a protest against or caused by a certain incident? Was that a rather homogeneous group at the beginning, or was it already very involving very various groups of, of people? Of yeah, I would say that it, it didn't start because of one incident. I might say, yeah, there was a spark. There were some actions happening on because there were many other similar stories, by the way, that also accelerated the, the movement. But I wouldn't say it's one spark or one main request that people wanted. It was about many different demands. Uh, basically, one of the main ones, of course, was police uh, brutality, but also injustice, uh, but also the, the huge gap yeah, between the, the poor and the rich. It was, there is no social justice at all. And of course, freedom, because freedom was really the main thing. And another point also I would say is uh, uh, economic needs maybe of people there. But I'm not sure about the answer like about the question of saying, was it a homogeneous group or, or diverse group? We will come maybe later on to this point uh, during the revolution, what happened and on which, in which stages who joined. But I would say people who started it, they were young and 
concerned and interested in a better future, basically. Mm. Yeah. And to move back to, because you have a, quite a personal story about it, and I'm really interested in like how you experienced this revolution because you took part of it. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more uh, from your personal view how it went by from day to day and? Okay, that's well, a very yeah. open question, maybe. <laughs> no, but yeah, but I can try um, to start, maybe. No, because it's such a huge thing. So, and to make it graspable, I think it's also really interesting to hear your personal point of view. Or maybe as a, um, because it's indeed it's a very interesting question, but also one which might be hard to 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 answer if it's standing there like a huge huge topic for you, but. Uh, maybe you s you just say what you felt on the first day or so. I don't know. Did you go on the on, on the first day? Were you part of the of this demonstration? Did you go there? Did you expect anything more than the days before? Or whatever. I mean, what was this moment like at that day? Because I have the feeling that in the last year, years, but years, definitely in well, also with Black Lives Matter and, and and Corona and all these things, we have a lot of movements. But I mean, they don't have this impact, and they don't have this urgency, and they also don't have these high risks at stake. But um, yeah, let's imagine something turns out of it. I don't think that anybody who goes to the street right now would imagine that this could go in this direction or that direction. And maybe that was entirely different because I don't know. You said that it boiled up a bit. Mm -hmm. What was the situation like on this very very first day? Yeah, personally, it was a very uh, special story or very different for me because as I said I was starting to turn 21st uh, 21 years old uh, I have never been to any protest before that day so for me this was the very first time that I decided consciously say hey I'm interested and I would like to take a step I it, it wasn't like I changed my mind or anything, but I just never had the chance to do or to think about such a thing. Uh, so I remember that I started to go so intensely deep into the topic, reading, discussing, and so on. I remember that everybody, all of my friends, they were saying, but, but hey, why are you so involved? Or why do you want to get involved? It, it's a very risky uh, action that you would like to take. And you have no idea how the state deals with opposition. Maybe you have an idea, maybe you read about it, but you have no idea how it works in real life. So why would you do so? So that was my close circles were, of course, giving me this feedback all the time. And I was so emotionally involved and so excited about it and so full of uh, the desire to be part of this change because I believe deep inside me that this is part of my purpose or it really goes with my core values and what I believe in and if I cannot do something to this there is no meaning to anything else that's really very important action that I need to take so I really believed in it I was totally involved emotionally and physically reading about it reading about the precautions that I should be taking reading where I should be talking to people about it, where I should be careful. Uh, I even read about, okay, what kind of clothes you should be wearing, where to put your uh, personal belongings, and so on and so on. How to deal with uh, tear gas, what kind of 
uh, stuff that you can do in, in response to that. So on the very first day, the 25th of January, I already talked to around, I would say not less than 30 to 40 friends who were the same age as me. Only two were convinced. One of them was convinced out of curiosity. He wasn't even believing in the cause at all. He just wanted to see what would happen. Uh, and the other person was more or less like doubting, but he believed in me and I thought, okay, we can go. On our way, we already felt there's something wrong on the bus. People are afraid, people are looking around. You can feel the tension mm -hmm. in the air. And once we arrived halfway, we had to step down from the bus because uh, the streets were closed. And when we reached the square, it was already pretty late. It was maybe by noon. So people were already in Tahiri Square. So they crossed the borders of policemen. But there were still some um, uh, action and I wouldn't say violence, but very little uh, throwing stones on each other or something. And that's about it. But then, then it, it, uh, it evolved into something else because it was more like uh, a stable way. People are occupying the square. So discussions started. Why are we here? What are we doing here? Who are you? And then I started realizing that actually, first of all, what, what I was dreaming of and what I was talking about can be true. It was the very first lesson that I was already surprised by. And the second is that there are so many other people who are like you, but you never have the chance to see them or you never have the chance to take an action with them or to, to realize this kind of uh, common vision, maybe, to be in one place together. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was also very shocking to see thousands of people who also think like you and most probably people around them told them exactly the same that was that what i was told as well yeah and that was something that then we started moving to other uh, levels maybe or ways of discussing and understanding who are we and what are we doing and what do we want and and if you speak about we uh, what do you mean exactly? Like, uh, who is we? Like the young, the new generation, or that was part of the of the surprise that I had because for me I was just looking at those people as they are similar. We share very very important values together. Mm -hmm. So for me they were the same but in a different way because. They weren't looking like me and they weren't talking like me. Some of them weren't even the same age or from the same background and so on. But we really shared this deeper meaning of what we want and what we mean and what we, what we can or want to do, maybe. Did you... Or maybe first, uh, to get a bit of the background, can, can you describe the political situation at the time in, in Egypt? Was it like, because like di dictatorship is a word which mm -hmm. has to be filled. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, could you describe it a bit? What yeah. the, 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 the 
political situation was like and then maybe what it meant for yeah. actual participation in the political so process? So Mubarak was there already for around 30 years and he was, he was from a mil military background but he was already believed or called to be civilian maybe because he just took the military suit out. Um, he was preparing, or at least those were the rumors, that he was preparing his son to inherit the, uh, his place. And there was kind of democracy between two braggers, but it was always between two main uh, opponents, being the state itself represented in whatever, but also you had the other uh, Muslim, maybe, uh, political groups, but they were always, of course, being uh, defeated and being in prison and so on. And there were many other small parties, but they were, we called them like cartoon parties or something because they don't really do anything and they are not really there. And the last parliament in 2010 was very, because in 2005, the, the parliament before, it was kind of democratic and the Muslim Brotherhood got a lot of uh, seats inside. So in 2010, the state and the regime responded uh, aggressively and just got the majority in the parliament and it was a big scandal, kind of. Of course, there was no freedom of expression. Yeah, to certain limits you can criticize, but in a very superficial way and so on and so on. I, I wouldn't say it was the worst dictatorship ever because I can, I can already name many worse uh, examples. But it wasn't going anywhere and you can already see that the future is not interesting at all for any young person who's dreaming uh, of a better future, basically. Yeah. And uh, also a rather naive question, but as I said in a talk before, I've not even ever been to, to Egypt, so I, I can't say that I ever felt the situation there and definitely not at the time. Um, how was the hierarchy within the society? Um, is it, was, was it, maybe it is again or it is still, uh, very hierarchical and very stratospheric in, in sense of layers which are not connecting or so? Was there possibilities to, to rise up in knowledge, yeah. in possibilities and so on? I would relate it to the to the ancient Egyptian pyramid, basically, the king on top and then the nobles being the businessmen maybe, and a military and uh, those people working for the government, and then maybe technocrat. Uh, yeah. But no exchange possibilities. It's, it's a little bit hard, but I would say it's possible. But yeah. for the majority of the people, it's not possible, of course. No. Uh, now and then also, it's yeah. just, yeah. Basically, I, I don't want to go to this part about now, but... Yeah. No, um, actually, I, I was asking about now, I was just hesitating that maybe... Uh, I was asking about then, and I was just hesitating because I mm -hmm. have the feeling that there was a big backlash afterwards, but we don't have to jump to that. Mm -hmm. I'm asking this because what I would like to know is, especially as you were 20, almost 21 at the time, um, I'm, I'm not really surprised, but I noticed that there was a high level of organization, as you said, we knew what to wear, how to behave and all these things. Uh, was there the same level already in consciousness about what people wanted? Was there already an idea of political organization which could take the place, 
from what was there at the moment or so, did, did you already have an idea of a more democratic society which was discussed or so? Yeah, no, but that's a very good question because many people were very critical about it because they always thought or said that it, it, uh, it doesn't work because you don't have a leader. I would always take it as a strength and not as a weakness point. And the second point was that, okay, you want to destruct the state or you want to get rid of the regime or the, of the dictator, but what happens after? Mm -hmm. For me always, I was always getting really, uh, yeah, I don't know, frustrated or disappointed by such a question because, yeah, I don't know, maybe that's also my naive point of view or something, but there is a huge problem and for me the problem was to get rid of this state or regime or dictator and because they always say that that's always an argument that the regime would use normally which is okay do you want to get rid of the dictator but who else could help you who else could replace mm -hmm. the dictator there is nobody better than the dictator so you should be happy about him or we should try together to improve the stuff but the dictator he is the best and that doesn't work because of course as long as the dictator or the state is in control of course nobody will ever have a chance and the parties the other parties as i mentioned before they would never have any chance and the people like us who are just very normal who would like to express their point of view or their vision or something you would never have a chance you would never have a platform or you would never have the chance to express your voice or opinion about such a thing except if it's in a private conversation and definitely i don't think that will lead you anywhere so I always believed that, yeah, what you say is very valid argument that, yeah, okay, we should maybe think what would happen after. It was not meant as an argument. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it was meant but as I mean a because question because yeah. um, I, I don't want to defend myself. I get into a corner where I didn't want to get to. Um, but I meant it as a very open question, actually, because mm -hmm. what you're saying is, is, is highly interesting. It means that a regime, which is also maybe a too shortcut term, but still, um, was arguing or you were confronted with arg arguments at the time by saying not only we are the only ones who can help you but by the only model that they said they could imagine or would be imaginable was structure-wise the same model maybe the same people or other people but it was always like this hierarchical system and therefore I'm of course in favor of this open um, approach Apart from the fact that, of course, it also brings problems, but that have to be dealt with. And maybe in Egypt there were these problems afterwards, also part of it. But um, that was just to defend myself. No, so no, the, but the, the reason why I asked this, because it's, but it's, it's a very typical important. situation that is coming up. It's very important. And actually, because this kind of question, it kept going. And I think until even this moment, after 10 years, it's still the same question what would happen or how can we go to yeah. this part and where do we want to go and so on and yeah. so I, I mean it's a very good point but I just don't see that we will get to this point without the first step yeah no that I understand yeah that was or, or that was at least our argument back then yeah. that yeah but maybe we can get back to Bas's question, which was much more on your personal. Uh, yeah, and also go back to the Tahrir uh, square. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What happened there yeah. would be. Yeah, so actually we spent the whole day there, the first day. 
it was really beautiful. I was super happy because it was like dreaming basically and just seeing your dreams coming through in front of you physically in place in a very big round square in the heart of the city, the heart of the capital where, yeah, I mean, I couldn't dream of a better situation than this. People were discussing the future, what would happen, how would we like it to be? And it was so beautiful that you can just feel all of those people are your brothers or sisters or your family. And you're deciding together, okay, let's go together to the future. And how can we move forward? So many interesting conversations, so many interesting points. Even policemen who were surrounding us, basically protecting the, the buildings around, we started to be very friendly with them. Of course, that's also part maybe of how the, the people in general are. They're just very friendly in any kind of situation. They would just make fun of it anyway. So even policemen started to have conversations with uh, the protesters. And it was very supportive in a way that they would say, yeah, but actually we suffer from the same problems and we want a better future and we want something for our kids. So it was all about, it was uh, a united moment, I would say. That happened until 10 o'clock in the evening. Oh, still the same day, so to speak. Yeah, I'm just mm -hmm. talking about the same very first day. Mm -hmm. Till 10 o'clock in the evening, people start to get tired. Some people start to go home. So it became less and less and less and less. The square became half empty, half full. And people are really tired just sitting. Or, and people are doubting, what should we do now? We don't know actually what was the plan. We didn't have a plan because we didn't think that we would even make it. But mm -hmm. we made it and we are here now. And after a long day, you feel like, okay, but we have to go to work tomorrow and so on. So everybody starts to doubt what action should be taken. And then suddenly the police, they, they got uh, orders that they should, they, they all came in one street, concentrated, all of them. And after they were telling us, we support you and we are with you and so on, they suddenly betrayed us. And for me, that was a very strong moment because suddenly after we were very tired, they started shooting us by water, rubber bullets, and tear gas bombs. And suddenly everybody freaked out. And the square was empty in like 15 minutes, I would say. Thousands of people just ran away. It was very violent action. And it, was, it wasn't even expected in a way because there was no fight. We were just staying there, peaceful people, doing nothing except for discussing. No weapons, nothing. So it was very uh, disturbing and shocking in a way. Because for me the whole day I didn't even take a stone or anything because I was always thinking, we were all thinking all the time, it should be peaceful, we shouldn't do anything, those people are just like us, they are our families and so on. And when they took this action actually, it really changed in my mind and I got super angry. In the beginning I started running. I was in the very front. We were very little anyway. I was like in the very front, a few meters away from the police. And when everybody started to run, I started to run with them. And then suddenly people started calling saying, no, we should stay, we should stand, we should do this. And they were always throwing the tear gas bombs and so on to the back, to the back of the crowd. So I felt actually, yeah, there are also people standing here still. So maybe I should just 
wait and give those people more time to run or something. And while I was doing so, I took off my jacket to protect myself. I take off my jacket, I put it in front of me as kind of a curtain to protect myself. And suddenly, there was a moment of, it was this moment that turned in my head just black. Everything is black. And my whole body uh, was hurting me suddenly. I didn't understand what is it. I just looked down on my t-shirt and I saw that my body is full of blood. And I was really shocked that I didn't know what to do. And I was thinking, am I still alive or what? And I panicked, I ran away. And then I realized after a while, after running for some time, that it was a rubber bullet that I got shot with. And that's how my day ended, actually. My very first day ended there. Uh, I got it as a souvenir, actually, still in my body until this moment, which is a very nice souvenir, I would say. There would be a question, because um, what does a rubber bullet do? I well, mean, how deep does it go? How, how dangerous is it? It's probably depending on from where it is shot. And exactly, yeah, because a rubber bullet is the size of your thumb, maybe, more or less. And when it's shot, it, uh, it breaks down into very smaller pieces. And it's meant to not to uh, cut your skin or anything. It's just meant to, uh, yeah, how do you say it? Uh, just to hurt you, that you feel like, wow, okay, there is something away, wrong. Yeah. yeah, just to push you away, basically, to make you run yeah. away. But that happens normally from a distance. I don't know exactly the rule for it, but normally from a distance, it doesn't do anything. And it yeah. happened to me a few times also later on, and it doesn't go through your skin. But at that time, because I was very close, so I got uh, a few smaller pieces from a smaller distance, it got inside. Many other people had more horrible stories of mm. losing an eye or something. So I was lucky enough, maybe. And uh, did, did you go to the hospital? Because you said you still have it, so it, never, it was never cut out? Or yeah, that's the thing. No, of course not, because I was really terrified while going home because people were telling those stories that if anybody sees such a thing, they will uh, catch you or put you in prison or something. So I just covered my body and I tried to go home as uh, discreet as possible. And when I went home, I started realizing, okay, what happened and how can I deal with it? And I, I stayed in bed for the next two days, basically, because my body was also hurting me so much. And then you decided to go back to join again? Of course, I was super angry. Yeah. Those two days were really, I don't think only me, I think everybody And it was by chance those two days were like a rest. Some people were also doing some smaller movements over the two next days. But everybody decided, or it was decided somehow, that the, the next Friday is the anger day. And that's when we will show them, hey, it doesn't work like that. We, we are really serious about it and you cannot just do that, it doesn't work. And that was on the 28th of January. Did the, the violence escalate directly afterwards? What was the confrontation then from, the, from this next day when you were there? Yeah, I think the intention was like, okay, so you did that. So basically, first of all, the 25th of January, there were not so many people. I'm not sure if I was clear about that. There were not millions or anything. It was just few thousands of people who really started this kind mm -hmm. of movement. But political parties and so on, 
and many people around the country, they weren't really part of it yet. And what happened on the 25th of January, give the courage to everybody that saying, that's the time to start organizing ourselves, and that's the time to do something about it. And it was this act of aggression that triggered it. Exactly, and the act of aggression made it even more uh, worse, actually, because if, if they were more peaceful, maybe, I don't think anything would happen. Of course, not to mention what the official media was saying all the time about who are those people and foreign money and so on and so on. That's, I mean, that's always typical, right? We know that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, also, what you said before about like organizing through Facebook and stuff, because I'm always quite critical towards social media, like how it uh, captures our, in, uh, how much time we spend on it. But by starting a revolution, it also has a really strength in itself, like how especially the young generation can unite through these platforms. So it always has two sides, the social media and that. Um, do you think it would ever happen if these, these media would not have been there? Because you said already before, it all started on this online thing and that it moved from there to actually a physical experience. I think that's a very good point because, yeah, I, I'm first of all, I'm uh, glad or, uh, yeah, like, I, I think that Facebook was part of it. That's number one. But I can be also very critical about it. Uh, after seeing many other movements and many other actions around the world that happened based on that. There's a very famous movie or documentary about it, I think, uh, that I watched lately also. I think maybe you know it. Uh, but I'm still, even after knowing all of these kind of incidents and how such uh, social media and algorithms can affect how we think and maybe somebody is doing something intentionally, I still, to be honest, think that it is a tool and it's a tool for new generations that can be used in a very good way. And that's a very good example because back then it wasn't yet controlled uh, by the state or it wasn't really yet uh, taking this important <coughs> uh, position maybe. Of course, later on, everything changed. I cannot tell you how it was. Even starting from the 28th uh, of January, which is two days after, you know what was the first step actually that the state took? Cut off the internet and communication. So no cell phones, no internet. And what was the reaction of people to that? I think that was a surprise for them as well. Everybody was very curious. So everybody went to the street. So yeah, because then the, yeah. the, the lack of communication and information exactly. is gone. So then you need this physical... Exactly. So you will need this kind of physical contact to understand. Okay, I have to go to the street to see what's going on. Because if I'm at home, I don't know anything, right? Yeah, so actually their action was a contra... <laughs> yeah, it yeah. didn't work well at all for them. Actually, it went the other way around. Yeah. But yeah, back to your question, I think... Yeah, I can be very critical about such technological tools, but I would say always people would always find a new tool to serve their purposes. So the tool is just a tool after all, right? Mm -hmm. But the core of the point was this kind of resistance. Uh, yeah, and how, because you said the Friday after people were like 
and even more people got on the street how how uh, this movement moved on further on from this Friday to 28th? Uh, the thing is that from the 28th it was really a, a violent day in a way. There were so many different actions. Of course the state responded also in a very defensive way, very aggressive, uh, I wouldn't say passive. They were trying to prevent people by all means not to get to the square because so the whole idea turned out to be very uh, physical and very concrete. It's not, it's not about uh, values now and freedom and democracy or social justice and bread. No, it's just about everybody want to get to the square and the state want to prevent everybody from getting to the square. And whoever get this point on that day, he basically wins. And everybody knew this unspoken rule of the game basically. So the whole day was uh, kind of uh, a game of uh, run and hide or hide and seek between police who are blocking all the ways and all the streets from the people. People don't have any kind of weapons and they are faced by tear gas bombs and rubber bullets. So the police keeps doing this all the time, but at certain moment uh, they run out of uh, supplies. Mm -hmm. So they have to go back to another line and people keeps going forward. And of course, once also the people understood this part of the game, they started saying, okay, hey, we don't need to do anything. We just need to keep going to them, basically. We don't even need to fight, you know? M moving back to your uh, origin as an architect, could you describe for the listeners how the keep line, how it's built up, how it's like, like to have this idea of hide and seek and how it's by streets organized? Yeah, so on the 28th of January, so the point it was to get to this square, which is in the middle of downtown Cairo. And the area around it was uh, planned uh, based on Haussmannian Paris, basically. So you have all of those uh, streets that lead to squares, to round squares. And the urban areas are uh, planned in triangular ways, let's say. So many streets always lead to the same square. And from that square, one street leads to another square and so on. So, but of course, the, the day started even further away from that. Eventually, it ended up around this area, which is downtown Cairo, basically, uh, which is like colonial architecture, let's say, planned based on Paris. And the idea, of course, the concept of it originally was that those wide streets should be uh, means for the state to control protests and uh, the audience if there is any kind of uh, violence or uh, yeah many people coming together to do a protest but it's really also worked the other way around and uh, that was also very funny that it didn't work for the purpose it was designed for mm -hmm. but most probably of course it wasn't only designed for that but it was meant to serve this purpose as well uh, but yeah, basically it was just all the streets leading to this square, people coming from everywhere. And the funny part also that most of those people, a lot of people, I shouldn't also judge too much, they were just going out because there is no internet and there is no telephones to call anybody. So you would just join the crowd anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Because what else you can do? You can do nothing, basically. You cannot reach your beloved ones and friends. So it, it became, yeah just the idea that you need to cross the street basically you need to go to the street to do something
about how many people do we speak about because the Turkey line was full of uh, crowd but you know, do you know amount of people were kind of yeah that's always like, like theory that media always said and told but I can never talk about it because it's not concrete but I can talk about the streets that I have been part of it was just the whole wide street uh, the width of it is let's say 15 meter is full of people for like 200 meters that's just one street out of yeah to give you maybe some context Cairo there are 20 million around 20 million uh, inhabitants so yeah I, I can assume that at least half of them were part of that day. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least half of them were in the street. And if you're in the street, somehow you're part of it. Mm-hmm. And everybody... Hmm? No, no, go ahead. And everybody uh, stopped their jobs and went into the streets. There was nothing. The country just stopped working. There was no, it was actually Friday anyway, so it was vacation. Oh, yeah, it's a religious day. Yeah, yeah but, but in any way, if there is no internet and there is no cell phones, Nothing works, basically. That's also what I realized back then. I, I never thought that it can stop our life, but actually it does. Yeah, the, the question that I wanted to ask, uh, still connecting to Bas' question about the spatial organization, the one thing is how you use the city in this sense. And it's quite important that um, the city plan, which is a colonial plan, uh, as you said, um, were used for your purposes or you, you were able to to, um, to use it, exploit it a bit. Um, you showed, before we started the talk, a photo of Tahir with, uh, let's say, infrastructure points in there. So at a certain point, it seemed to me, at least on this photo, as if there was a kind of a special organization on this square with toilets, I don't know what else there was, probably people needed food, I don't know. Um, I'm not even sure did people stay overnight probably from a certain point. Um, how, how did this happen? How was stuff like that organized actually? How, how did you experience yeah. it? So basically after that anger day ended, I didn't reach that point that it was really victory point because eventually everybody from everywhere reached the square and that was amazing. It was by sunset, around sunset. So it was also a very perfect moment to, to call it a day basically because it was really a turning point because then everybody knew that actually the police is defeated. They eventually ended up running away. Many other actions happened based on that, like political actions. Uh, Some prisons were opened and some prisoners ran away. We never knew who did did that and how it happened. Uh, But the military also started to, to go to the street to protect public buildings and so on but that happened also around 11 o'clock so that was there was like four or five hours of total chaos (laughs) there was five hours of no system the system was down basically of course there was so many allegations and rumors in the media about what happened and people started to steal and so on but it's also pretty yeah I, I can also say that it was all planned by them in kind of response to that but Going back to your point, so basically what happened is that people took control over the square and they started saying, okay, from our experience two days ago, they tried to come and kick us out. So now we know that our whole point is to defend this physical point. That's our home. That's we want to 
to protect and build our new system and our new future, starting from here, here on this spot, on that square. And that started gradually. And it was very surprising for everybody that, yeah, because you get this question of how do you expect the future? What do you want to do? What is the new system to be like? And so on. But actually people were self-organizing everything, starting from uh, areas where protesters would put tents and sleep there. Uh, some galleries where they would put pictures and photos of yeah, victims of the revolution, maybe. Uh, some places for toilets, for fresh water, for people to pray, for the clinic and the hospital. And it was all organized suddenly like magic from nowhere. Yeah, because I can imagine like it's such a huge event. Um, how, how was it on a personal level? Like it's, it's almost not imaginable because it's, yeah, it's a revolution and I was never part of it. So how, how, how was, was your personal experience? Like how, how, did, how did you feel like? like um. Yeah, it was like, I really felt like this place belongs to me somehow, or to us, I would say. Because, yeah, you start to feel like, you know, normally there are two positions that I would take. That I would either say, okay, I'm waiting for what I'm supposed to do or what I will be told to do. But there is also the other position, which is to have the to take the initiative and say, "Hey, how can I help? I can do this. I can do that. I can clean, or maybe I can paint. I can help you move stuff, and so on." It was also very diverse. There were always so many jobs for people to do, and as you said, it was a huge event that normally somebody to to organize such an event it's almost impossible. You need many yeah very long time to organize it a lot of people a lot of money and so on mm -hmm. while this one was just self-organized very successful yeah. very safe people were very safe people knew where to go what to do what happens if we do this there were gates people were checked at the gate so we make sure that nobody has mm -hmm. weapons or anything to attack protesters inside it was like such a safe environment that was meant to bring, yeah, well, it wasn't meant for that. People made it to, to bring the best out of them or people wanted to show and to bring whatever they can mm -hmm. do. So sharing food or sharing good times together or sharing discussions and good talks, that's of course at the heart of the... Yeah, because what really interests me is that out of chaos, people are actually really uh, capable of self-organizing. I think you also saw it in Beirut after this huge explosion, um, was it one, two years ago? But because this country is also in such a chaos that people just start to organize themselves and clean the streets and that, um, yeah, how much more uh, we are capable of self-organizing mm -hmm. and that politics can also happen on a, on a small scale and uh, exactly because there's always this point that's used against any kind of move that they would say but do you want it to be chaos it's always a like a conservative maybe point of view I would say that 
yeah, but if you want chaos, like, yeah, but we should have the system and the organization and how it, will it be organized? And those people are not capable of this and they are not well educated and so on and so on. But as you said, out of chaos, the, the yeah, or, organization just comes out of people themselves. And because they feel the ownership, because they feel they belong to this spot and it's there. Yeah, also back to your question, if you ask me how did I feel, I really felt free, free and happy. It was this moment that I would also call home. That's really a moment that I would say that feeling that I had back then just like this. is really just home. You are free, you are happy, you are relieved. You can build up on that. You can move forward, maybe. The entire period was 18 days, right? Exactly. Like This, this yeah. feeling that you're describing, was it rising the entire... Because, I mean, in the end, well, what's the end? Today is the end, <laughs> but uh, things are different again. But after 18 days, there was a kind of a victory. And um, but, but how was this staying on? Was there some kind of disappointment? Did, did you want to have it faster? Was it just like... Because I could imagine the way you describe it, it was not even thinking about the next day so much. It was very much about that this moment was actually what um, most people were probably longing for, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, I would say it went like ups and downs, but I would say the, the most important point was the, the, like the push it got from the first two days, like the 25th of January as the starting date and the 28th of January, which was the anger day. Those gave all the energy and it was just rolling. It was already rolling. Nobody could ever stop it. They tried many times during the 18 days. Mm -hmm. So there was the, the battle of camels when people came by horses and camels and, and many other trials and many other political actions and many other uh, violence or attack from the police and so on. Uh, but it was organized in a way like me, for example, I would just pass by there every day on my way to school in the morning just as my daily routine, I would go there, stay for like one hour or two hours, then go to my school. Then while I'm going home, I would pass again, stay there for a few hours. And I think everybody was doing that. It was basically like the base point mm -hmm. where, where for me at least, I would start my day and end my day. Yeah, I would go home to sleep still. Many people would sleep in there. But for everybody, it was this place that you just, yeah, uh, part of your day basically, and you have to go there. Of course, the, how people thought about it and how I felt, we felt, was always different based on the actions and based on, sometimes it was very frustrating because you are waiting there, it's chaos. Okay, in the beginning it's nice, you organize yourself, but after a while also it becomes like, okay, we want also normal life, right? Everybody has a life to take care of and you don't want to be, uh, in this kind of fight all the time. You also want just to have normal life. After all, everybody wants that, right? So, yeah, but, but I would say back again, it's, it was on a roll that nobody could ever stop what people wanted. They tried so many things, nothing worked, and people were just staying there and were like, okay, we, we will just keep going. And for these 18 days, there was no communication on uh, like a uh, no, uh, Telephones, no internet? No, 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 there was. That mm. was just one day mm. that was cut off. And then 
afterwards for the 18 days because of course it didn't work at all it worked against them <laughs> yeah. so after one day they brought it back and for the 18 days it was more or less this temporary occupation by the people of the main square and you also stayed there all the time or i was going mm -hmm. back and forth i don't think i ever slept there yeah but for me it was more like as if it's my uh, daily working routine whatever i do in my day i have to go there and how was it how was it for your like uh, for, uh, for instance for your parents then how did they felt about like i can imagine because you're such yeah probably they also scared of like uh, uh, were they okay with you uh, being part of it? Or? Yeah, I think, well, my mom was always making fun of me in the beginning. <laughs> that was before it started. So she was like, oh, wow, you're becoming a nationalist nowadays, <laughs> listening to all those songs or what is going on. Uh, then when, before it started, of course, she told me like, okay, you promised me you will not go there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course, sure, I will never do that. And of course, she knew that I went and I got <laughs> shot and everything. It was already too late. <laughs> it was already too late. She was against it, I would say. So she wouldn't uh, pronounce or be very direct that she is. Yeah. So she's against it because she's afraid about me and mm -hmm. she's really scared or uh, caring about me. But deep down, and I can see it in her eyes, and I can see when she talks, <laughs> kind of a pride. <laughs> that she totally believes in what I'm saying, and she really accepts it, and she really agrees to agrees to what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to do. But of course, as mother uh, caring for her child, I also mm -hmm. understand she would never accept it and say, "Okay, yeah, go there." So we always had this kind of. Uh, and there was yeah. this kind of silent agreement. Yeah, <laughs> silent agreement or uh, disagreement, but we agree yeah. <laughs> somehow. Uh. I would like to to jump a tiny bit to the end of the 18 days. Um, as we are very much on the personal level, that's something which I like a lot about this, because uh, also we talked about this before. Um, news are always just like cutting out tiny pieces, especially when it comes to Egypt viewed from Europe, uh, uh, Western Europe or whatever. Um, so this, this perspective on this is quite nice and I would like to prolong this perspective still to the end of the 18 days. Um, what happened, how did it happen and how did it feel? Uh, well, for me personally I had a very... I was actually... So as I told you, it was like my whole life was revolving around uh, this event basically so I was whatever I do I'm just going there or coming from there and so on so I remember I was uh, getting dressed taking a shower and getting dressed to go there but by then we already took another step because we took it forward and we started going to the to the presidential palace mm -hmm. which happened to be nearby from where I live and I was preparing myself to go there. And I think we started to go the day before. That was our first day. But it was a very, very awkward moment also because it was very new territory to us. And we are peaceful protesters. We don't have weapons. We don't intend to harm anybody. But on top of the building, there were snipers and people holding weapons. Not a lot of them, just a few ones. And it was very, yeah, there was tension in it because after a while, we were like, 
100 or 200 person maybe there, so not a lot. And the street around us is totally empty with a lot of, yeah, not a lot, but like some weapons around on top of the buildings. So it was very, yeah, critical moment. And we felt like, okay, they might just shot us all dead and nobody will know about us or something. And then the military proposed to this group of people, we will bring you uh, buses from the military to take you back to Tahrir Square if you would like. And everybody was like, yeah, 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 please. <laughs> so that was also very funny that the military is cooperating with you in a way because nobody wanted a bloodbath also, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, back to the, your point, uh, sorry to be distracted, but I was preparing myself to go there the next day. And then suddenly I heard something, somebody shouting from the street. So I went quickly to the terrace to see. I thought maybe it's part of this protest going there. There were always people passing by protests. And then everybody was shouting, yes, he's gone. And everybody, the whole city, the whole country was just on celebration for the whole night. And it was an amazing moment because you see the result of this movement for 18 days, a lot of violence, a lot of blood, victims, injured people, some dead people, unfortunately. And 13 years, it comes to an end just by this movement in 18 days. It was really something that meant a lot, that meant that we can do it, basically. And what we are dreaming of can be realistic and can turn into something real. Not only that, because the media, if you talk about the media, it was one of the most important uh, eye-opening moments for me during the whole event. I mean, not only for me, for everybody, I think. Because if you are one of those people who would participate and go to the street, so you go home, you listen to the TV, you watch TV, or you call somebody, your parents or your friends, and you get numbers, facts, the situation, how it is, and so on. That's a whole uh, yeah, constructed reality that the state plays or does. And then you go to the street, and it's a totally different story. Mm -hmm. And at certain moment, I felt I have a problem that I cannot relate reality or to this or this. Of course, after a while, you get the, the game, right? And you understand the, the problem. Yeah. But, but yeah, we, we understood a huge deal of how media works in the whole world. It's not about this mm -hmm. local event or something. I think it's something very global mm -hmm. about the media and its role and how it works and who affects the media and who feeds it and how can you show part of the truth to give a certain message and so on. And this whole event, did it have an effect on even today? Uh, who you are, or it, like what you said, like the media, or you know, like does it still have an effect on you, or like how you can be the change, how you can? Um I would definitely say so. I mean, it changed my life. I think, yeah, I don't know. It changed the core, and also it changed how I see life, and how I see other factors affecting my life. Not only on a political level, but more on this collective level also. And 
where do we want to go maybe or move that's something that yeah it's also affecting how I think about it in an ideal way because yeah it, it's really affected how I think about abstract concepts like reality truth uh, what is collective what is common but also how can we figure out ways of living together mm-hmm. with with the other who's different than us and definitely I, I can talk about this forever how mm-hmm. it changed me or how it made me see life basically and were you already uh, studying architecture back then or is it also because architecture is also about living together and uh, was this interest already there or did it came kind of also from there no I was already actually studying my bachelor's I I was graduating on the the following year afterwards and yeah I mean my studies it like my studies affected how I saw this event from an architectural point of view and how the physical space played a role and how the physical space was used by people for certain reasons or was used in in new ways that was never meant before um interesting actually that uh, also the, the, the images that you showed before which we unfortunately cannot show in an interview but um, they transmitted a feeling of space I would put it that way and you showed like we talked about this um, so I could imagine that it changes the view on the city very much and also on the people living in the city and the interrelation between the two was it a big backlash also for you or a bit uh, softly said disappointment that this spring time lasted only two years because then I mean you had another military coup in in Egypt so something was achieved it lasted for a while but then it also disappeared again so I guess everything that you just talked about the collective etc is totally I mean these things that you learned are totally untouched from what is happening afterwards but the disappointment is nevertheless there, so there must be some kind of a collision in, in, in your personal experience also. Yeah, they always say like, so there is a point of view that says that eventually it failed. I have totally the other point of view actually, because one of the main reasons, at least for me and for a certain group of people, was to get rid of the dictator. That's already done, check. One thing that we didn't do, our homework may be good for it, is how do we expect it to be afterwards? Okay, maybe that didn't go very well so far. But of course it's frustrating for me on a level that we cannot be doing this and it's not continuous, right? But from my own humble point of view, that which is not naive, I would say, It's not like in 18 days or one day we will change the course of history forever or the future of the country forever. But it's one step at a time. Mm. And I would say it has this domino or butterfly effect that it's a one corner stone of the history of the country for the future. And we learned from all the revolutions. It never happened in in one year or two years or 18 days or something. It takes a lot of 
years. It takes maybe decades, I don't know. But I mean, this scenario that is going on is almost the same to my own knowledge, as far as I know, maybe. But also, I don't see it like this because for me back then, truth was revealed in a way, maybe for a temporary part. And I'm talking here about even one day, by the way, or maybe a few days. I'm not talking about the whole period and the, the event. But the truth was revealed for me to a certain extent that I really believe it so much. And I really know for sure, it's one of my beliefs, that in one moment, one day, one hour, everything can be changed. And nobody can stop such a thing. So if we say that maybe nowadays it's different, how does it work? Yeah, everybody's present, everybody flee away. Okay, that's very, totally fine by me. But I really know it by heart that just in one second, one moment, everything can change again. And I really believe that it will happen at a certain moment. So I would, I would still say that what lessons can we learn from that and how that will affect our next moves. Because I don't know if you see it in the story also that I'm trying to say, but each action was affected by the actions before mm -hmm. in a very, or it affected it in a very dramatic way. Yeah, it's, it's also a game. It's a continuous game. And I don't think it will ever be done, not even in one place or something. I think it's just a global issue that will keep going as long as we exist, maybe. I expected that we would talk about the present and that we talk about the future, but I would rather not actually. I would rather like to stop here. I, I also because agree. Because I like this, this view on this very much. Yeah. I also agree. I think that's a good point. <laughs> Thank you very much, Omar. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. This is Radio. Level 5. Level 5.